you know, we have 30 kids from 21 different countries, right? And they learn as much from one another as they do from the country that they're in. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Cindy Burnett. And my name is Dr. Matthew Worwood. This is the Fueling Creativity and Education podcast. On this show, we'll be talking about creativity topics and how they apply to the field of education. We'll be speaking with scholars, educators, and resident experts about their work, challenges they face, and digging deeper into new and varying perspectives of creativity. All with the goal to help fuel a more rich and informed discussion that provides teachers and parents with knowledge they can use at home or in the classroom. So let's begin. Welcome to another episode of the Fueling Creativity in Education podcast. And today we welcome Joanne McPike to our show. Joanne is the founder of Think Global School, which is a truly global learning environment built on the foundation of empathy, diversity, resilience, and self-reflection. Joanne has dedicated her life to pursuing her passion for world travel. She grew up in New Zealand and developed a desire to explore the world at a young age. To date, Joanne has traveled to over 73 countries, which has helped her develop a rare perspective on the multicultural aspects of our global society. As a photographer, she has worked to capture the diverse layers of meaning inherent in a given snapshot of life and published a book on her photography titled Think in 2008. Joanne, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's wonderful to be here with you both. Now, Joanne, Cindy and I have had the opportunity to explore your school on your website. We think it is absolutely amazing. We're a little bit envious that we didn't have an opportunity to to join the school when we were young. But for our listeners, we wondered if you could tell us a little bit about the Think Global School and also how it came about. Sure. It's funny you say that because I always say I started a school that I would have wanted to go to when I was a teenager (laughs) that wasn't around. So Think Global School is a travelling boarding school, nomadic boarding school for the last three years of high school. We travel to four countries a year for three years. The children get to experience 12 different cultures, get 12 different perspectives on life. We are a project-based learning school. We are student-led, student-centred Um, Our students are in charge of their own learning with, of course, our help and guidance, but we allow them to follow their own curiosity and and creativity. And it came about because we travelled a lot when my son was young and by the time he was 13, he'd been to over 72 countries and we saw the benefits that travel had as we moved around the world. We took him out of school. We put him back in school when we were back in the Bahamas. And so when it came time to go to high school, we kind of looked around the world to see what kind of school we wanted to send him to. And if you go to school in America, you learn to think like an American. If you go to school in France, you learn to think like the French or in Italy, like the Italians. And we wanted him to carry on having this sort of this global perspective that that we'd be given him when he was young. And so we were at dinner one night and I said to my husband at the time, I said, why don't we just get a boat and sail around the world with a tutor and teach him as we go? And he said, that would be really boring for him. He said, it'd be more fun if it were a bunch of kids. And I said, okay, fine. I'm going to find a bunch of kids and some teachers and we're going to travel around the world and we're going to learn as we go. And 
he looked at me and said, you're nuts. Nobody is going to send their child to a school like that. No teacher would want to teach. And I said, yes, they will. Yes, they will. (laughs) And I set about finding 15 very brave children and 30 very brave parents who entrusted me with their, you know, 14, 15-year-olds. And we started in Stockholm, Sweden, I think it's almost 13 years ago. And we've been going ever since. And, And it has been a ride. It has definitely been a journey of learning for us as well because it had never been done before and it really is like a military operation moving at this point 60 hormonal teenagers around the world. But it is, I think, one of the most fulfilling things I've ever done in my life other than raise my own child. So you've been doing this for 13 years now and how many students have gone through the program? I'd probably say a couple of hundred have gone through. I'm just trying to uh, uh, keep thinking about the structure. So does does it, it it's uh, it's probably cohort based. Is it different cohorts per semester or is it cohorts throughout the year or and and when do they typically start? We have two cohorts of 30 kids. We our semester system is 7 weeks on, 5 weeks off. So the children are in country for seven weeks, then they're at home for five weeks. So I tell the parents, just when you're getting sick of them, they go away. Just when you miss them, they come back again. We don't have the long summer break that most school systems have. They just have that five weeks and then they're back again um, in July. And then the teachers travel with the students um, and they're housed in different places in different countries, depending on where the, where we are, it could be, you know, the floor of a small hotel. It could be um, apartments that we find or a boarding school that we that we partner up with. Um, and the same as you know, classroom space is. It could be a coffee shop in Buenos Aires, right? It could be. I think one of my favorite lessons ever was on Boston Common. Our English teacher did an English lesson on Boston Common where they drew on the pavement and chalk and interacted with people who were passing by, moms pushing strollers and people out jogging. When you learn in an unconventional way like that, the learning sticks because the memory is stronger. It feels more powerful when you're not sitting in front of a blackboard. So what kind of students does it attract? And I would say families as well, because, you know, obviously the parents have to buy into this first and then the, the students. So what kind of students do you attract? Well, actually, it's it's the students that find us and it's the student that has to apply, not the parent. And what does a TGS student look like? You know, curious, creative, adaptable, resilient caring, intelligent, fun, enthusiastic, you know, they want to be there. They're not there because they have to come. They come because they want to. They want to take charge of their own education. They want to see what's different out there. We have in the show touched on the idea of of shifting perspectives many times. I think probably for our listeners, Janine Letford spoke a lot around this idea of of shifting perspectives and intercultural creativity. And I think that one, as we think about 
many of the challenges that we're facing are, are global challenges that require cooperation and interaction with people from other cultures. It strikes me that it's more important than ever before that we don't just teach students to think like an American or think like an Italian. So I'm just wondering, could you tell us a little bit about the changes that you see in your cohorts as they progress? And I'm interested to, to, to see whether or not those changes occur quite quickly or do they occur over time? They occur very quickly. I mean, you know, kids, they're so curious. And, you know, like, let's say one cohort in particular, we have children, we have students from, you know, we have 30 kids from 21 different countries, right? And they learn as much from one another as they do from the country that they're in. It leaves a lasting impact. I remember, I think it was in our second year, we had have a lovely young man, Jawed, from Afghanistan. The day he left Ecuador, there was a an explosion in Kabul in the market. And when he got back for the next semester, he sat with all of our kids around a bonfire and was telling them how afraid he was that when he got to Kabul, he didn't know if anybody was going to be at the airport to pick him up. Now, that brings what's going on in Afghanistan into your life in a way that you feel it, it has an impact. You'll never, you'll never look at Afghanistan or the news or anything ever again because you know somebody who is personally affected by that, right? And, you know, they learn so much from one another's cultures and perspectives. And, you know, you can sit around a dinner table and have a conversation on I don't know, death, for instance, right? What are, what, what are the traditions in your country? How do, you, how do you feel about it? You know, those kind of conversations you don't normally have in life normally, not just in school. I connect to this a, a little bit, N nothing to the level that, that you're talking about, Joanne, but I didn't get on a plane until I was 18, but then the first place I went was to Australia. Then that sparked an interest in travels. But I also cherished opportunities later in my life where my boys have now visited Southern Italy. And the reason why I bring Southern Italy up is because there is, you don't necessarily think like an American per se. There, it's a very small community. You work to live. The whole mentality of it, it's all about you working as hard as you can to earn as much money as you can in order to, to obtain wealth and power, right? And then you measure your success on wealth and power. That doesn't seem to exist in, in Southern Italy. And all of the supermarkets closed between 11 and 2. And the supermarket workers would sit out and just have lunch. And you saw them giggling and laughing. The families would have their dinner late and after their dinner, they would have a coffee and then go and walk the town at 9 p.m. at night. And they're just interacting and smiling. The shops, no one's working 24 hours a day. The coffee, the local bread shop, they're making enough bread to sell for the day. Their profit margin seems focused on making enough to live. It's not about growing and franchising their bread shop, for example. And the reason why I bring this up, one of the affordances that we've been able to give to our children is exposing them to other cultures. 
So I don't know if they would ever have an opportunity to to go to a think global school, but just exposing them to other cultures, exposing them to discussions has opened up their view on life to such an extent that I don't think they necessarily think like an American. They don't think like a British person. They don't think like an Italian. They kind of like just think, I think they think in a different way. And, and I've already noticed that just from the little bit of traveling that we've done. Yeah, I mean, what you've done is you've opened their minds, right? And once a mind is open, they're allowed to fly free, right? And, and exposing them to a culture like that of Southern Italy where, you know, the stores close at lunchtime and people are sitting around laughing and smiling also helps redefine what success is for them, right? And what happiness is for them right? What is happiness? Is happiness really that big house and that big plane and the the big car and all the money in the bank? Or is happiness really a sense of community, uh, knowing that you're valued within the community that you're in, that you take enjoyment and, and are appreciated for the bread that you bake every day? And a book just came out that the Harvard study, I, I'm sure that you've seen it, you know, the results of that, I think it was an 80-year-long study into what makes people happy is exactly that, that sense of connection to other people, right? That is the biggest, the biggest marker of a happy life is that connection and I love the connection of bringing not only students to other countries, but bringing students together that are diverse. So you mentioned 21 different countries of in 30 students, which is unbelievable to me. I mean, that in itself is, is a gift to give students that opportunity to learn with people from different cultures. I'm, I'm really curious from a curriculum standpoint, so can you take us through an example of you taking a group of students to a country and the kinds of things that you do there? So it's PBL, it's project-based learning. Uh, the students have a personal project that they work on, and then they also have a teacher-led, uh, educator-led project that they work on. You know, they have process portfolios that they work through, they have rubrics, that they follow, they set learning targets. One of the one of the most interesting things is because we don't do exams. When you have a student arrive and and you tell them that well we don't do exams and they're like well hang on if you don't do exams how do we know where we stand in class? And you're like well it doesn't matter where you stand in class. What matters is where you stand in six months compared to where you are now. So we'll do an assessment now. You set a learning target. And then at the end of six months, you sit down there with your with the educators and you decide whether or not you've reached that target or not. And then you reassess, right? And so they're learning. And then, of course, the modules that they do are based on, you know, the country that they're in, you know, depending on I don't know, every country has different modules and it's all based on their their own curiosity and their own creativity. I mean, my goodness, I mean, we know every, every single human being is born curious, is born creative and is born with a sense of determination. 
It's funny, I had somebody question me that on once and they said, well, what do you mean determination? And I said, have you ever tried to take the spoon out of a one-year-old's hand when they're feeding themselves? <laughs> they are determined. They are not going to let that go. You know, have you ever stood behind a child who's walking, learning to walk, and they fall down and they get up again? You know, this is built into us. This is an, an innate part of our beingness, you know, and then you go to school and they start teaching it out of you. You had mentioned community. When I've done some reading around comparative education, it talks a little bit about Western education quite often gets us to think as individuals, whereas other parts of the world, it is about success being as a community and you participating in that community. So I'm just curious when you're talking about project-based learning, to what extent do those projects connect with the community that either exists in the cohort or connects with the community that exists wherever they're, they're located when they're engaging in that project? Both. We make it a point that they connect with the community that they're in, in, in some of the projects that they do. Um, also, within the cohorts, within the groups themselves, they work together on things right? The level of mastery, when you, when you want to get to that level of mastery, you have to be able to teach what you've learned to someone else, right? So there's a lot of intertwining in what they do. It's funny when you spoke about how in America or even in probably the UK and Australia and New Zealand, there is a big push to individuality and personalized learning. And I have no problem with individuality and personalized learning because I think that we all learn very, very different and we all learn our own way. But that doesn't mean that it's all about me and I. The importance of learning about who I am fits hand in hand with the importance of learning with how I fit within a community, right? And you need both of those. You need to, we need people who know who they are, right? At a really deep level with, with such humility, right? That they can function within their communities as, as valid and respected and important members, which in reality at the bottom of everything is all we ever want, right? Deep down, all we ever want is to belong, belong to somewhere and know that we matter and that people care about us and that we care about others. Joanne, I have a high schooler myself. Um, he's a freshman in high school. And I, I think about him going off and and I think it would just be such an amazing experience to be able to sort of find himself as well, sort of in this quote boarding school environment with other students from different cultures. And I think you're right. It's, it, it's such a time, this high school time is, is such an amazing time to actually try to uncover who you are and who you want to be before you go off to college. I mean, I think for most people, I'll, I'll speak on behalf of myself, I probably didn't find that until my 30s. But to give students this opportunity to really expose yourself to so many different things and to say, this, this really rings true for me. And this is something that 
that is important to me. And this is who I want to be is just so, so lovely. And it just gives me goosebumps when I think about the opportunities that these students have and being able to experience different cultures. I'm really curious now that it's been 13 years, what are those graduates who have been through this program? What are they doing now? What do they think? How has this program impacted them? Oh, they're doing all sorts of things. I mean, they, you know, our first couple of classes have already graduated from university if they went or whatever higher learning they decided to go to. They're definitely out there in the world and they definitely remark back the impact that being at Think Global School has had on them, the friendships that they've made that are going to last a lifetime, you know, a shared experience um, that they've had. We didn't start off with a PBL curriculum. We uh, were an IB school to begin with. And I think in about our fourth year, the students sat me down. I still remember this in India and sat me down in the middle of a circle and they said, Joe, this isn't working. TGS is not an IB school that travels and it shouldn't be like this. And I said, I know. <laughs> and so I so I went to the board and I said, okay, we either find someone who can help change the school to be a PBL to do project-based learning or I'm closing the school because this isn't what it's about. You know, and I've got nothing really against the IB program. It's a great program, but it doesn't fuel creativity, which is exactly what you're podcast is about you know how how when you have to sit and do rote learning and pass exams and have the stress of of all of this how have you got space for being creative right how are you going to learn about how to be in the world okay to me everybody is creative Everybody is born that way. You go to primary school, it's still there, and then you're told that you have to memorize certain facts and it all becomes about memorization. And, you know, creativity isn't an intellectual process for me, right? Creativity is a feeling first, and we have to teach children how to trust those feelings. There are a lot of things that we do need to learn, regular curriculum stuff. It's, it's, it's the building blocks for helping us sort of help our ideas and our creativity evolve. School in the past has been a place where, in my opinion, a lot of creativity goes to die, right, to be buried under the weight of comparisons, under standardization you know, under averages, right? It's all rules and, and, and rigor. And it's where you begin to feel like you're not good enough. For me, the basic curriculum should be the building blocks to support your curiosity and your creativity. It's the scaffold, right? I think that every student should learn basic entrepreneurial skills, right? Because we're all entrepreneurs of our own lives, right? I think that a lot of people feel that as a creative, you know, I don't need to learn math, but, you know, we all need to be financially literate to be able to run our lives. How does the experience that you offer develop those skills or values differently than an advocate of the traditional education system might say? 
at Think Global School, we believe in our students and we trust them. We trust that they want to learn and we trust in their curiosity, right? Educators should believe in their students. They should trust them, right? We we ask them, what is it that you want to learn? How often do kids get asked what they want to learn? You know, a lot of people say, well, how, you know, how can how can we do what you do in the classroom when we're, when we're, we're place-based? And I say, well, first of all, take them out of the classroom as often as you can. And secondly, ask them what they're curious about, you know, take an hour a day or a day a week and let their curiosity guide their learning, right? Ask them to answer their own questions. Ask them to answer how they think they could find the answers, you know, or even deeper questions, right? And, of course, that's going to look different for different age groups. But, you know, how often do kids ever get asked, what do you care about? What do you want to learn about? Right? And that's what we do, right? And we trust them. To connect what you've said there to other things that you've said in the interview, there is an opportunity to ignite new curiosities because of the new experiences that you're offering. And, you know, we, we have to be open and say that that what you're offering is going to be difficult, I think, to, to, to model universally for every student. But I think you started to say some things that an everyday classroom teacher could do get them out the classroom. We're starting to see a decrease in field trips. Maybe it's important that we see an increase in field trips. I heard what you were talking about connections. We spoke about the idea of creativity and shifting perspectives, but we also know creativity is about making connections and making connections with, with other people. I used to love having a pen pal, but I kind of feel that the whole concept around pen pals has kind of disappeared. And what's so weird is the fact that there's probably more opportunities and more programs for teachers to actually pursue pen pals, or at least that model, than there, there ever has before. The study abroad, abroad programs for students in higher education, and then just making sure you as a parent, where there's an opportunity to interact with people from, from different cultures, different kind of festive celebrations that might be happening in your community, to take advantage of that. So making connections between how you see the world, how you live, your value system, and looking at opportunities to expose your children to other views and perspectives that may actually exist in your community, or if you're a teacher, may actually exist through programs that you can bring into your classroom environment, are ways that I think we can begin to start moving in the direction of what your school offers. Yeah, and it, you know, when COVID happened... We thought, oh gosh, you know, now we have to send all the children home. We can't travel. How are we going to do this? It was nothing. Our kids immediately switched to online learning. We already had online set up anyway for students who, you know, one of the biggest challenges we face is getting students' visas into certain countries. You know, you're like, they're a kid, they're 16. Come on. Um, so we have an online part of TGS set up already. And the kids, switch to online learning really fast. But the connections were still made, even over Zoom. It wasn't our preferred way of doing it. But by the time they did get to meet up, 
they all knew one another. They already had a history and stories and everything. You know, you can bring up a lot of excuses of why you can't do a lot of things. A lot of the problem is that we, we're really quite stuck in fear at the moment. You know, you said, you know, like class trips uh, or field trips, as you called them, have gone down, right? Uh, parents probably don't want their children going out into certain places where they think they're, you know, they're in danger or they're afraid. There is a severe lack of tolerance. There is a lack of curiosity. And it's not just in America, it's all over the place, right? This this the fear of immigrants, this 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 pulling apart of the world instead of this coming together and finding the things that we have in common rather than how we're different. And you know, school should be the absolute center of a community where Every single religion, every single culture, everything is celebrated and learned from, right? But in fact, it feels like it's just getting more and more and more divisive and pulled apart. And that makes me really sad to see. So Joanne, we wrap up every show with three tips you would provide to educators to bring creativity into the classroom. So based on your experiences in the Think Global School, we'd love to hear what your three tips are. Asking them what they're curious about will spark the creativity. I think that mindset is uh, really important. I think that understanding that creativity lies in each one of us and that our job as adults, our job as as educators is to support that in children and to let children know that we really, truly, honestly believe in them because their creativity is their power. It's where their energy lies. Well, Joanne, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your experiences with us. If people are interested in the school, we will post a link to the website in our notes, show notes below. Um, Joanne, if there's an educator, I've already had an educator, I was talking to you about this yesterday. If an educator is listening, how can they get involved in teaching at this school? We have an application process for teachers, just as we do for students. So there will be the link on the website where they can apply. And, you know, we love it. Fantastic. So we'll put those links in the show notes below. So this concludes this episode of the Feeling Creativity and Education podcast. As a reminder, new to season six are episodes where Matt and I discuss open questions on the topic of creativity and education. And we look to you, our listeners, to identify important topics that you would like to hear discussed on the show. So if you have a question related to creativity and education, or perhaps a question related to this episode or past or future episodes, then remember to email us at questions at feelingcreativitypodcast.com. My name is Dr. Cindy Burnett. And my name is Dr. Matthew Werwood. This episode was produced by Creativity and Education in partnership with WarwoodClassroom.com. Our editor is Sina Yousafzadeh.